I'm going to ask you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Most of you are standing, but if you can't stand, stand. It's just a way of honoring the Word of God. I'm going to read to you out of the very same verses we've been reading for five weeks now, and I have to believe you're not going to get sick of the words of Jesus. Amen? You know, there's a lot of churches you can go to that don't even read the words of Jesus. But we're going to look at the words of Jesus today, and I want to talk to you about something that I've noted and, and, and been burdened about. Um, I've noticed through the years that there are people, they're, they're on the front row, not now. <laughs> They've been on the front row. They're excited about God. They're there every time the door is open. Hallelujah, kumbaya, God is good, praise the Lord. And then you wake up one day and realize you haven't seen them in a while, and then you hear they're not in church. They've gotten out there, they've drifted, and something happened beneath the surface. Now, I'm calling this message today below the surface, beneath the surface. Something happened, not necessarily here, because they know all the right things up here, but something went on down here. And in sharing this message, I'm, I'm going to um, immunize you from experiencing the same thing. Because God doesn't want us to burn out, he wants us to burn on. But if you're going to burn on, you're going to have to understand what I'm sharing with you today. So let's just read the words of Jesus once again. Therefore, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. I'm going to liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew. Beat on that house. Notice they're being hit from every side. From above, the rain. From below, the flood. From the side, the winds. This person is saying, could it get any worse? I'm being hit from everywhere. So this is a significant storm. And look what Jesus said. It did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everybody who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell, the floods came. The two houses are in the same storm. They're, they're, they might be next-door neighbors. The same storm is hitting these two homes. And the two builders are inside. And here it comes. Now, this second builder, Jesus said he's a foolish man. Because when the rain fell, floods came, winds blew, and beat on that house, it fell, and great was the fall of it. And there's only one difference between the two, and that is one practiced the teachings of Jesus, and the other one didn't. That's it. One heard and did. The other heard and didn't do. Well, you know, that was a great message, but I don't think I need to apply that to my life. I'm going to go do my own thing, do it my own way. That's the only difference between the two. Now, I'm going to talk to you today about the one who built on sand, why it was sand, and how you can get to the place where you're no longer standing in sinking sand, but you're standing on the rock. I'm going to show you how Jesus taught us to do it. So, Father, I just thank you today for the word of God. Lord, we have come to church today because we want to see Jesus. We want to know Jesus. We want to walk with Jesus. We want to grow in Jesus. And, Lord, we want our lives to be on a rock. We want to not just survive, Lord, but thrive after the storm. 
So, Lord, I pray that today you will speak to us, minister to us. God, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. Help us, Lord. I can't preach this without your help, and we can't understand it without your help. So, Lord, we need your anointing today. And we pray for it in the name of Jesus. Now, will you breathe a prayer, dear church, and say, Lord, change my life with the word of God today. Put me on a rock. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, on a rock, on a rock, on a rock. That's where we want to be, on a rock. Now, we have read these words for five weeks in a row. That's good. I'll probably do one more week because I can't get away from the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, okay, I just gave you three chapters of teaching. I just, I, 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 and it's interesting to me, I, I noted this. The Sermon on the the Mount begins with blessed and it ends with a crash. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are this and blessed are the that. It's the Beatitudes or the be happy attitudes. But it ends with a crash. So Jesus is telling us there's going to be two kinds of people who have heard this message of mine. Those who heard it and they decide to go apply it and practice it and do it and live it. And those who are going to hear it and forget what they heard and walk away and they're not going to do what they heard. And and, and he said it's going to result in two things. One of them is going to be on a rock. The one who hears and does, their life is going to be on a rock if you hear and do. You've got to hear and do. James said, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of what you hear. So there's going to be those that hear and do and they're on a rock. And there's going to be those who hear and do not do, and they're on shifting sand. Both houses look exactly the same until the storm comes. And when the storm comes, the storm tests the integrity and the trustworthiness and the solidity of the foundation that we've built. You know, there's something particularly disarming and debilitating about the foundation of your life falling out from under you. The Bible says if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? There's a sense of helplessness once the foundation is destroyed. What you are standing on, and you thought it was going to hold you up in a storm, it goes out from under you like somebody pulling the rug out from under you, and what you thought was going to see you through it doesn't see you through it, and you find that what you built your life on was not gold, silver, and precious stones, but wood, hay, and stubble, and it collapsed. Losing the foundation leaves that person or nation not knowing quite what to do. This is what Jesus had in mind when he talked about foundations. He ended that incredible Sermon on the Mount with that warning. you got to do what you heard. If you don't, you're not going to be on a rock. He describes a storm. Let's look at it. That violently assails two houses. Each house illustrates a person's life. The house is your life. The house is you. The foundation is what you have built your life on. Have you built it on Jesus and his teachings? Or have you built it on something else? Secular humanism, atheism, agnosticism, some other ism. Maybe on yourself, self-reliant. Or you built it on material things. Or you built it on what the world considers success. But when the rain falls and the wind blows and the floods hit, that foundation gives way unless it was built on Jesus Christ 
And I want to say it again, what he taught. He's not just my Savior, he's my teacher. He's my teacher. I must do what he said. That's what he's telling us in the end of the Sermon on the Mount. If you hear and do, driving rain, high winds, damaging floods, beat on that house. But the storm doesn't really test the house per se. The storm tests the foundation. It's the foundation that collapses or stands strong. What makes it a foundation of sand is that the builder does not hear and then do what Jesus taught. That's what Jesus is telling us over and over again here. He says, what made it sand and not rock is you heard and you didn't do. There's Christians like that all over America, all over the world. Who They, they get saved, they get, their, they get their ticket to ride when the rapture comes. But they don't pattern their lives after the teachings of Jesus. So i got to say again, he's not just my savior, he's my instructor, my guide, my teacher. He understands life, he understands me. Nobody understood life better than Jesus Christ or how to live it. He's the Lord, not just, you don't just die unto him, you live unto him. You live according to the way he taught. You pattern your life after what he taught. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does not do them is the foolish man. The storm reveals what's below the surface, hidden in the fabric and the sinew of that person's soul. Their bedrock beliefs and values are laid bare and exposed when the storm comes. See, God allows storms. God allows us to go through storms. I hope that doesn't rattle your faith any, but God allows us to go through storms. Jesus looked at Peter and said, hey, Peter. You're going to deny me three times. Peter said, not me. I'm not going to deny you, Lord. He said, yes, you are, and I have prayed for you, Peter. And I noticed what he didn't pray. He didn't pray the storm didn't hit. He prayed that Peter would survive the storm. He didn't say, Peter, I have prayed for you. I, I know what the devil's up to. He has desired to sift you like wheat. And so I have prayed, Peter, that he is shut down. No, that's not what he prayed. He said, Peter, I pray that when you go through it, you come out on the other side stronger than before, and you will be a strength to your brethren. Amen? So this same Simon Peter understood storms like few others, and he understood why storms come. Here's what he wrote. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that. Now here's the purpose, so that. The proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's from the man who went through the storm of denial, came out on the other side, and became the great apostle Peter. Storms come, Peter says, to test the proven genuineness of our faith, of our foundation. Is it of rock built on Jesus, or is it of sand built on other things? The storm will reveal it. You say, well, Jeff, I'm not in a storm. Well, buckle your seatbelt. Because everybody who lives is going to go through some kind of a storm. Storms come. Now, I want to illustrate the rain, the wind, and the flood. Jesus said the storm was comprised of three things. Rain, driving rain. Howling wind and crashing flood. Now, I'm going to take those three elements of the storm 
And I want to compare them or illustrate them with real life storms that we all pass through. What I'm going to share with you, Jesus spoke about all three of these storms that I'm going to mention. And he warned about their ability to compromise and weaken our foundation. So I want you to listen carefully because every one of us have, have gone through or are going through one or more of these storms right now. And here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that response is everything. I want you to say with me, response is everything. Response is everything. We're going to see that if we respond to the storms the way that Jesus taught, that's how we place ourselves on the rock. That's how we get on the rock. If we respond to the storms the way he taught, then it will put us on the rock and the storms will blow and they will come and they will beat on the house, but it will not fall because it is standing on the rock of what he taught and how he told us to respond. So say again, response is everything in a storm. The storm begins with rain. Jesus said the rain fell. So I want to just... I want to just point out, I want to mention a very real rain beating against the foundations of more and more Christians today. It's happening more and more all the time. So the rain fell. I want to talk to you about the rain of persecution. Jesus said, persecution will come. He that will live godly in Christ Jesus is going to suffer persecution. Jesus said, now now listen to the way he taught. I'm pulling out a sermon on the mount, and I want you to listen to the way he taught response. Blessed are you. When they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. In other words, they're lying about you for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Say, what? I got somebody lying about me? I got somebody persecuting me? I've got somebody coming against me and reviling me? And I'm supposed to rejoice and be glad? Jesus said, yes, and let me tell you why. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now notice everybody, Jesus here teaches us how to respond to persecution. He's teaching response. He's not telling us I'm going to guard you from it. He's not saying I'm going to shield you from it. But he is saying if you want to get on the rock, let me tell you how to respond. If you want to stay on a rock of safety a rock of security, if you want to be on the rock when persecution comes your way, then here's how you must respond. I want you to rejoice, and I want you to be glad. He's teaching us how to respond. They say, well, I guarantee you, Jeff, when I'm being persecuted, I don't feel like rejoicing, and I don't feel like being glad. You don't have to feel it. You just need to do it. Just do it. You don't have to feel it to do it. Amen. Now, now, here's what I want you to see today. If you look at just the Sermon on the Mount, now I, I keep going back there, but that encapsulates most of what Jesus had to say to us. If you just go back to the Sermon on the Mount, you see that over and over again, Jesus taught response to adversity. He taught how to respond to different kinds of adversity. I'll give you an example. Bless those who cursed you. Everybody say, say what? See, if somebody's cursing me, I don't want to bless them. I want, I want to deliver Texas justice. I want to react. I don't want to respond. But see, listen, flesh reacts, the Holy Ghost responds. Flesh is always reactive, but the Holy Ghost is always responsive. 
So he says, bless those who curse you. Everybody say, that's a response. I got somebody cursing me. Jesus said, respond by blessing. Here comes another one. Do good to those who hate you. Do good to those who hate your guts. You say, Jeff, I'm not going to do something good for somebody that hates my guts. That's how he told us to respond. Because listen, if I do good to somebody that hates me, it delivers me from all kinds of negative emotions and it stands my feet on a rock. I'm on the rock if I respond the way he said. So if I got a next door neighbor that hates my guts, I make them a great big beautiful cake and I take it over with all the whipped cream and cherries and strawberries and I ring their doorbell and I say, here you go, in the name of Jesus. And see, he didn't just do that for them. He did it for you because as soon as you respond that way, you have delivered yourself from being trapped by the flesh. You have placed yourself on a rock of victory, a rock of strength, a rock of overcoming, and you are not going to be taken down by the devil if you respond the way he taught. Response is everything. He said, Pray for those who despitefully use you, take advantage of you, and persecute you. Bless those that curse you. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for those who persecute you and use you. Every one of those is a response. He said, if somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn to him the other. That's a response. That's a response. So I want you to notice with me that the greatest teacher of all time taught you and I how to respond to adversity. And he said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, they have built their house on a rock. Amen? Now back to persecution. Persecution is no fun. It comes in many forms. Rejection, that always hurts. Loss of a job happens all the time. Ridicule, mockery, making fun of you, the brunt of everybody's joke. Here comes Mr. Jesus freak. Can I tell you something? Jesus didn't, doesn't turn people into freaks. He turns freaks into people. But here he comes, Jesus freak. Social ostracism. In our day, believe it or not, even legal action is being taken against some Christians who are very outspoken. And Jesus' teaching on how to respond to persecution is designed to protect our foundation from becoming compromised. He said, I want you to rejoice and be glad and pray for your persecutors. In the parable of the sower, he shows us what happens if you don't respond the way he said. Watch this. He said, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to somebody who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. But when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. What makes the difference? You got one who falls away. You got another who is standing on a rock. Why did that one fall away? Because they, respond, they responded with fear and intimidation not rejoicing, not being glad, and not praying for the persecutor. And so they lost their footing, and they went down in the sinking sand. But the one who says, I bless you, I bless those who curse me, and I'm going to pray for you, and, and I'm, I'm getting on the rock of what my Savior taught, and I'm going to respond the way he taught, that I am not going down in the sinking sand. I'm going out on the other side of this trial better and bigger and stronger than before. Just like Peter. Amen?
When persecution comes, everybody, we Christians have a choice. We can let it drive us away from the Lord. We can let it muzzle us from speaking about the Lord. Or we can do what he taught and rejoice and stand on the rock of his teaching. Amen. So there is the reign of persecution. Then Jesus talked about the winds. And, and it's interesting to me, it's not singular wind. It's plural in the original language. It's the winds. The plural winds blew. That tells me the wind is coming from every direction. This house is really under it. Rain is pelting down. And then wind is coming from north, south, east, west, blowing against this house. Multiple plural winds. And so I got to thinking, that reminds me of the winds of worry. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned about the ability of worry to degrade your foundation and cause you to not even be fruitful as a believer. Four times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, don't worry. Do not worry. Can we say that together, everybody? Do not worry. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. Jesus said, don't worry about things like food, drink, and clothes. And don't worry about tomorrow. God will take care of your tomorrow too. Live one day at a time. Now watch this. According to Jesus, we worry primarily about one thing, provision issues. He said, you're worried about what you're going to drink, what you're going to eat, and what you're going to wear. And you're worried about having those things tomorrow. You're reaching into tomorrow and you're drawing tomorrow's troubles and bringing them into today when tomorrow hasn't even happened yet because you don't even know what tomorrow brings because God can turn things on a dime and what you thought was coming tomorrow isn't even going to come tomorrow because God's going to move before tomorrow gets there and what you were afraid of never happens. (laughs) Telling you, worry doesn't work. You say, well, what if I don't have clothes to wear? You may not have Gucci, but you will have Target or Walmart. I'm going to. You may not have everything you want, but you will have what you need. He will never fail you nor forsake you. He will not let you down. He will always provide. He is Jehovah Jireh, your provider. (laughs) But Jesus nailed it. He said, "You're, you're mainly worried about provision issues. That's where most worry comes from. And Satan rides the wave of worry. Satan hits us with worry. And we're worried about, there's people not in church today because they're worried about coming to church. They're worried about how they're going to get here. They're worried about what the traffic might be. They're worried about it getting too hot. They're worried about where they're going to eat afterwards. They're worried. They worry about everything. Listen, I grew up in a family of worriers. I've got relatives in New York. If you don't want to worry about it, I'll call them and they'll worry for you. (laughs) I learned how to worry as a kid. I learned how to worry. Uh, my, whole, my, my dad's side of the family, they were worriers deluxe. I had to train my brain not to worry. And the way I did it was by renewing it in the word of God. Because Jesus said, you can't make one hair white or black or make yourself grow one half inch by worry. Worry is a fruitless endeavor. It does nothing but put a knot in your stomach and rob you of sleep. Jesus warned also in the parable of the sower about worry. And how it can degrade the foundation. 
He said, the seed falling among the thorns refers to somebody who hears the word, but the worries of this life. What am I going to eat, drink? Where, where am I going to sleep? How am I going to pay those bills? Choke the word and make it unfruitful. Notice, the winds of worry blowing from every direction. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. I'm worried about the other. And I'm worried about the other. Paralyze this person's ability to grow spiritually. And they're not fruitful. And their foundation gives way. They literally, it says, worry chokes. That, the Greek word there is strangles. Picture just somebody being strangled. Your spiritual life being strangled. Your inner man is, is ah. Because worry is choking until finally you're not a fruitful Christian. You're all tied up in worry. You're all tied up in a knot. Worry is one of Satan's favorite tools. David battled worry, and he spoke of times when worries multiplied within him. He spoke of being deeply disquieted in his soul. Now, here, here's the reality. Left to grow, worry can, be, can become a silent storm in your soul, chipping away beneath the surface, beneath the surface where we can't see it. You come into church, you look good on the outside, so did that house until the storm came. And then one day there's no more fruit bearing and the house collapses and everybody wonders what happens to you, but God doesn't wonder because for a long time that worry was chewing away at the fabric of your soul. And Jesus said, you got to respond. you got to respond the way I taught. He who hears these sayings of mine and does them. Well, what did he say do? He said, go into your room. Close the door. Pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you in the open where everybody sees it. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Amen. You never tell God anything about a need in your life. You know, I say it all the time. God never says, well, I'll be. He never turns to Jesus and says, did you know they needed that? Can you believe they needed that? No, he knew you needed it before you ever asked him. Say, well, then why do I need to ask him? Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder, a rewarder, a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the Jesus response is to pray about it. You say, well, Jeff, I've sure worried about it, but have you prayed about it? Well, I've talked to other people about it, but have you prayed about it? Well, I've thought about it, but have you prayed about it? Well, I've been to a counselor, but have you prayed about it? Because the minute that you pray, the fierce winds of worry are turned away from you. And there is peace and there is calm in your stormy soul. Jesus will stand up in the middle of your soul like he did on the lake and say, peace be still when you pray about it. Pray about it. Everybody say, pray about it. So there's the rain of persecution. There's the wind of worry, and there's only one left, and that's the flood, and that's the worst. Because the rain I can handle, 
The winds I can handle, but when there's a huge flood beating against the house, that's the worst part of the storm. And and I got to tell you, I know for a fact, in the lives of believers everywhere, the flood is the flood of offense. I'm going to talk to you about offenses last. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus devotes 19, I counted these yesterday, he devotes 19 out of 111 verses to offenses and forgiveness. Must be a big deal. Offenses. Now, let me tell you what an offense is. If I had here a rat trap or a mouse trap, okay, you've got that arm, you bend back, and you latch it, and you hope it doesn't snap down on your finger when you're setting the trap. But then you've got that little trigger you put the cheese on. You, you put the cheese on that little trigger. And, and you know that when the, the mouse or the rat come and they, they hit that trigger, they try to get that cheese, bang! The arm falls down on them and it's over. Now, an offense is the trigger. It's, it's the word scandalon. That's the Greek word for offense. And, and, it, and I like to put it this way. When you're offended, until it's settled, when you're offended, there's a scandal going on in your soul. Scandal on. Something comes along in your life, and it's going to happen to every one of you. And it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and how we handle it. If we respond with the Jesus response, we'll be on the rock. And the offense will not take us out. We will not be offense-driven, but we will continue to be Jesus-driven. Holy Ghost-driven. Not offense-driven. But if we don't respond right, that offense will absolutely paralyze our life. Let me tell you something. Have you ever noticed when you get offended, it freeze freeze frames time. You become frozen in time. You become frozen. Everything goes back to that offense. Time stands still. Your mind is trapped there. The offense lives rent-free in your brain. You get offended. Many things trigger an offense. An unkind word. An unfulfilled expectation. Somebody tells you they're going to do something and then they don't do it. And we get offended. How dare they? They promised me. But don't you know people are promise breakers? <laughs> Hello. Anybody else here living in the human race? People are promise breakers. Now some people keep their promises, but generally they love God with all their heart and they've crucified their flesh. But people break promises all the time. What are you going to do with it? Hypocrisy in the life of a professing Christian. Somebody that you really believed in, who you thought was just this model Christian, you find out that there's all kinds of sin in their life. And here's the idea of offense. You're walking along, and we've all had this happen. You're on a sidewalk. You don't see that it's raised. You don't see the raise in the sidewalk where it's not level. And you're looking elsewhere, and you hit it, and you fall. You, you stumble. That's the idea of an offense. Bang! The trigger is tricked, and that arm comes down on you, a perceived slight. You're walking down the hall, and somebody doesn't say hi to you, and you're convinced they saw you, and they just decided not to say hi to you. I've had people leave churches over that. You laugh. I'm telling you the truth. I know you saw me, and you didn't say hi, so I left. The devil loves that. You already know what bellows are, bellows. 
bellows are what you use for a fireplace. You, you, it looks like an accordion, and you do this, and it fans the flame into a, into a roaring fire. The devil's got bellows, and he'll tell you, they meant that. They intended that. They, they wanted to hurt you. And, he, and he'll do this. And he'll blow on that offense until it's a raging fire in you. Being treated without respect. A lot of people are offended over that. They don't respect me. They didn't respect me. They dissed me. They disrespected me, and I'm, I'm offended. And, and that offense happens. And, the, and whatever it is, the, the trigger is trapped and a flood of anger and hurt and unforgiveness, and bitterness beat on the foundation of your house. Well, I can't go to church there anymore because they're there. I'll just go somewhere else. Well, when you get to your somewhere else, they are going to be there too. They just have a different face and a different name. And it'll happen all over again. We got, I, I know people who have made, it's like musical churches. They've been to so many churches. And offense drives them out every time. I'm not perfect. I'm going to tell you right now. I might see you in the hall and not see you. <laughs> and, 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 and not say hi. Don't let the devil. <laughs> he saw you. I know he saw you. Right? See, what we don't realize is an offense metastasizes below the surface of your soul like cancer. It eats away at your foundation. There's people that are not in church and haven't been in church for years because they got offended. And they allowed the devil to take them out. They lost years of fruitfulness, years of productivity, years of fellowship. The only way to weather the flood of offense is to forgive. Say, well, Jeff, I would forgive, but I just don't feel like it. You're never going to feel like it. (laughs) If you hang around waiting to feel like it, why in the world would you feel like forgiving somebody that betrayed you, stabbed you, wronged you, said something bad about you? You're never going to feel like it. But listen, you have a tongue, you have a mouth, and it operates when you tell it to. So you just say, I f-f-f-f-f-f-f. It'll, it'll happen that way. It's kind of like that. I fa, fa, fa. Lord Jesus, help me. I forgive. Then the next time you do it, I forgive. The next time you do it, I forgive. And the more you say it, something happens down here. And, and, and when you say I forgive, the flood of offense is turned away. And you're not going to be offense-driven. You're going to be Jesus-driven, Holy Ghost-driven. That's what God wants for all of us. He doesn't want us to be offense-driven. There's people all over this city that are driven by offense. They live to act out their offense. Not me. I want to talk about Jesus. I'm going to talk him up and talk the devil down. I want to live for God. I want to walk in the Holy Ghost. I do not. I'm not going to let somebody else control my life. Can we stand together today? Say with me, the rain of persecution, the winds of worry, 
the floods of offense. Jesus said, if you'll respond the way I taught, you will stay on that rock. And it will not fall. Can we lift our hands to the Lord Jesus today? Jesus, thank you. You told us, Lord, how to walk in victory. You armed us with wisdom. And now, Lord, today, now if you're being persecuted, some of you are. You're being persecuted by your family who doesn't believe or at the workplace by people who are coming against you. Some of you are so eaten up with worry, you can't see straight. And some of you are offended. We're going to worship for just a moment. We're going we're gonna to sing a few choruses. And I want you to take this opportunity to give the persecution to God, to give the worry to God, to give the offense to God. And say, Lord, I put on your response. I put on your response. In Jesus' name.